Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. Big Ten champion. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. Coming to you live, youtube.com slash cover three. Also coming to you live on Facebook. Thanks to all of you that are joining. Hop on in the chat and and, and subscribe to the Cover Three podcast on YouTube. Smash that like button as well. We thank you in advance. Uh, very, very fun show that we have made a regular feature here on the Cover Three podcast because as we do break out a, a lot of good topics to draft with our squad, uh, we want Want to be looking at something very specific. First time college football playoff programs. That means that a little bit later on in the show, the four of us will each be drafting a group of programs that we believe as early as possible, maybe even this year, will be making the college football playoff for the first time. So if you've made a college football playoff, well, you know, stick around because the discussion is going to be really good, but your, your team's not eligible. And it's a great year for us to do it because, and we'll do a little bit of a review, but we actually had two college football playoff first-timers in this draft last year. So um, history suggests that we will be handing that same future to a college football to a college football program. So we look forward to that. Uh, before we jump into it, big personnel quarterback-related news from over the weekend is that former Arizona State quarterback Jaden Daniels, after leaving the Sun Devils, uh, will be arriving with Brian Kelly and LSU. There's a lot to dig into this. Number one, our read on Daniels, and I know that is something that has changed a little bit from the time he made his incredible freshman debut. Uh, what do we think LSU is getting in Daniels? And then I think the next part of it is, if you're Brian Kelly, if you're that offensive staff, and how do you look at the Miles Brennan and Jaden Daniels battle? So, Tom, you were uh, on duty for CBSSports.com over the weekend. You wrote up the story. What was uh, what was sort of your initial thoughts once we once we saw the headline come across the way? My initial thought was I was surprised. I didn't think LSU was going to be one of the most. I mean, not surprised from the fact that Jaden Daniels would want to go to LSU, but more of a surprise where it's like LSU's got a lot of quarterbacks already. So to add Jaden Daniels, especially this close to spring practice, because they start in a couple weeks, was a bit of a surprise to me. My other thought was, oh, great. Brian Kelly has multiple options at quarterback. That at no point has ever backfired for him or his team. But I, I do think that this is an interesting situation because Jaden Daniels did not play well this year. Like He was great as a freshman. And he, I think it was 17 touchdowns, two interceptions freshman season. He was good again as a sophomore in that very short four-game oh. season that Arizona State played. Yeah. But, like, last year was bad. Like, he was turning the ball over crazy at 10 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. He was used more as a runner, and maybe that played a role in it. But it was also, obviously, 
like the stuff that was going on at Arizona State with the NCAA investigation, you got to feel like that impacted everybody on the team somehow. So there are a lot of questions as to what Jaden Daniels is. Is he the kid that we saw as a freshman with all the promise, or is he a kid that kind of just plateaued and has maybe even regressed a little bit, and he's just kind of entering a situation where he's not guaranteed to get it, be, get the starting job because he's there. Miles Brennan is there, who entered the transfer portal earlier this offseason, withdrew his name, came back to Baton Rouge. Garrett Neusmeyer's there. And then Walker Howard just committed, and he was a late signing day, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he's not there for the spring, but he'll be there in the summer. So that's like four quarterbacks who, three this spring, but four guys who are going to be trying to get reps, try to take that starting job for the fall. And I think if you are a program kind of looking for a QB, you'll probably want to pay attention to LSU spring practices because I guarantee two of those guys won't be at LSU much longer after spring practice ends. So I I had this debate uh, all last preseason with our college football editor on the 24-7 sports side, Trey Scott. And one of the things I I was telling him was I don't buy into the idea that Jaden Daniels was good in 2020, uh, mainly because do you remember when they beat Arizona 70 to seven? Arizona State only played four games in 2020. So one game is 25% of his sample set. And he was nine of 11 for 203 and two touchdowns, no picks. In the other games, he really wasn't all that special, right? I mean, Against USC, 5.8 yards per attempt. UCLA, 6.4. Oregon State, which was a horrendous defense that year, obviously. But he, to give him credit, he went 9.3 yards per attempt there it's on 8 of 15. So he must have had two bombs in that one to in order to get that many you know, uh, yards per attempt. But I, I don't know. Just that and talking to some of the coaches that, that I, I saw last summer who were on Arizona State, Arizona State staff, some of whom are, are no longer on that staff, they were not believers in, in, in Jaden Daniels. Uh, but clearly, other people are, and he was the number one rated quarterback, uh, you know, dual threat QB in the 2019 class, a recruiting class that I don't like, and you know, I, I think the results will make me uh, correct on that one. But clearly, LSU sees something in him, so I guess we'll see. It's it's also like credit to Daniels for not going somewhere that he's guaranteed to start because there's a lot of competition there, as Tom said. So uh, the kid is certainly not backing away from competition. He, he believes in himself and, and wants to go prove that he's the guy. All right. I'm going to put you back in 2019 when he started getting some Heisman love. Do you remember that was kind of crazy? Mm-hmm. Like it started coming on. He had a stretch and I know these aren't advanced uh, analytics or metrics, but these are still pretty impressive. Hey, keep it with the layman stuff, Danny. Keep right. it for those who don't it. have the subscriptions. I'm going to keep it pure and simple. Where against UCLA, he was three touchdowns, zero interceptions, 69% completion percentage. They did lose. Against Oregon State, another game, 334 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, 66%. And then really had his breakout game against Oregon, which they won, beat a top 10 Oregon team. He had 408 yards passing, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, uh, and he was 22 of 32. Then the next game was the uh, a game against Arizona where, you know, just kind of went back to normal. Then they beat Florida State uh, in the bowl game. But I think you can see, like, where, like, some of the excitement was around Jaden Daniels clearly was there. So I don't make it sound like he was just a fluke his freshman year. I thought he was pretty good. Then it has been a regression. I'm I'm more worried about what are you getting? Are you getting him and his mom? Like, is she coming too? Because some of the things you heard about, like, coming out of what transpired at the end – and her having all sorts of access and having the coaches on the phone and 
you know, uh, just, I mean, just being a helicopter parent in general, that's not a good thing. I, and you saw the reaction from his players. And I think that tells you something about the player. Now, maybe fresh start, you go in there, you win the locker room. Maybe you have to have a really tough conversation that's with his mom says, Hey, I want to go there by myself. I want to do this on my own. But, and to Tom's point about credit him for going to a place that's crowded, I give him credit too, but is it the best situation? Like, I think you also have to be smart about the opportunity and not being afraid of competition and smart. I think you can be both, but with a quarterback room that's this crowded, I just wonder how this is going to play out. And I don't know if this is a, I mean, clearly if I was a coach, I would love to accumulate quarterbacks, but it can become not a distraction, but it takes away from all of them if they're all competing. So quickly, I think you have to try to separate this down to two quarterbacks so you're not splitting three, you know, first-team reps three ways. You don't want to split the reps that much because you have to be developing somebody within the system. So I think it's going to be a big challenge for Brian Kelly, how he, you know, uh, orchestrates this uh, this quarterback competition throughout the spring and in fall camp. And it's going to be delicate. It's like one of many challenges Brian Kelly is going to have to face here in his first year. If we go back to 2019 when he was great, because I was in love with him that freshman season. I thought he was great. I thought he was going to be a stud. Like that team had Brandon Ayuk. And I think that played a large role in his ability to put up those kind of numbers because Ayuk finished that year with 65 catches, 1,192 yards, eight touchdowns. Going back to last year, and I really don't think 2020 should count for anything in the Pac-12, but like the team's leading receiver was literally their running back, Rashad White, who had eight catches for 151 yards. So like when your running back is your leading receiver, it's hard to put up monster numbers. But then this year, too, there was no real alpha receiver on that team like their leading receiver was ricky pearsall who caught 48 passes for 580 yards and only averaged 12 yards a catch that's more of a possession kind of short yardage guy rashad white was again second on the team in receptions arizona state just didn't really have a vertical threat in that offense and i think that for Jaden daniels his play style is probably suited to more vertical downfield passing than it is the shorter kind of RPO, maybe intermediate kind of stuff that they've been trying to run the last few years. So maybe he feels if he goes to LSU with the receivers that they have there, it's a better fit for his his talents and style. I think that's a really good point. Uh, LSU also is loaded at receiver. Yeah. I mean, Kayshawn is back. Trey Palmer is back. Jeray Jenkins is back. The, the tight end, Jack Betch is back. They get Kyron Lacey out of the transfer portal from Louisiana. Um, there's some other dudes on that team who we liked a lot as recruits. We'll, we'll, we'll see how Brian Thomas looks. Um, I mean, they just going down the list here. Like, I mean, Kayshawn could be the best wide receiver in the country. Like when yeah. we're having that discussion and we're trying to find out who's going to be like those true national alphas, he's on my short list and any quarterback is going to love to be able to have the what he's going to do, not only making the plays, but stressing the opposing defense in terms of his ability to stretch the field vertically. A couple other things here. I know we're going a little long on Jaden Daniels, but I think it's fascinating because it's really the discussion of, of two schools and, and circumstance. Uh, to Danny's point about about the mom, I don't. If you're LSU, I think you lay down the law there, right? Like, hey, we got a lot of quarterbacks on this roster. You know, if they're they're not a team that's going to be promising him playing time and all that kind of stuff. Uh, also, producer Coca brought up. The Arizona State coaching staff was an absolute dumpster fire this last year. And even when they weren't, it's not like that was an offense that was doing friendly things. Now, I don't really love Mike Denbrock's system at, at Cincinnati that is now being run at LSU, but I think it's better than what Arizona State was running. I mean, Arizona State was very inefficient, NFL, pound the rock, pound the rock, oh, crap, third and seven, throw it. 
you know, not, not a lot of, hey, let's chuck it on first down, help help your quarterback out, be in a more friendly situation. So uh, this is why you can't totally write off Daniels. Even though I've never really been a big fan, there is certainly some physical talent there. And I can't go as far as say, like, he won't start, he won't be the guy. Like, I think he could be the guy because we don't know. What about if you're all right? Let's let, let's be real reckless here because it's uh, it's March seventh, and we have absolutely no look. We haven't even had spring practice. We don't get to see the reps out there. But if you are Brian Kelly and Mike Denbrock, looking at that room, if you had to pick one now. Who do you think is uh, is going to be your starter at quarterback? How Daniels. Brennan? <laughs> there you okay. go, Tom. I, I I I think from that perspective, though, like. If you're Brian Kelly and obviously, you know, you're looking at what you have right now, not what's coming in the summer, and you're, you've seen Brennan and Nussmeyer, are you taking Daniels if you're super confident in the two guys you currently have for the spring? Probably not. So the fact that LSU is open and had clearly had to be recruiting Daniels to come tells me that they kind of think Daniels is better than what they have right now. What about y'all? Would you say Daniels? Somebody said Brian's uh, Brennan's health. That is absolutely a factor here, right? Because he's had multiple uh, issues throughout his career that have prevented him from being able to be 100%. And in that sense, trying to blindly say here on March 7th that Miles Brennan is going to be the starter over Jane Daniels likely is ignoring a, a big part of that calculus that the coaching staff, I'm sure, is even taking into consideration. I'll go Nussmeyer. Okay. Um, I also think it's interesting. I mean... Jaden Daniels brings the dimension in the run game. None of the other guys bring, mm-hmm. you know, that that becomes real attractive. Like if you can, in you can and have Des- a quarterback. Desmond Ritter was looking like Lamar Jackson at times at Cincinnati. Well, that's what I was wondering about. Like, is that more a Denbrock thing where he wants somebody who can at least have that option? I'm not saying that, you know, it's going to be, you know, he's going to run for 700 yards like he did his freshman year, but just to have that threat for the numbers count, the RPO game, it does open things up and it gives you a different dimension. So maybe that's one of the reasons he looked attractive is, hey, we don't we don't need a pocket passer in today's game. We want somebody who can threaten the, the run game and threaten the RPO game. So that, to me, might be a difference too. And if he's starting, then our beloved class of 2019 quarterbacks will be well represented in the SEC with Spencer Rattler at South Carolina and Jaden Daniels at LSU. Woo-wee! Uh, other, one other bit of news came out on Friday. There are some NCAA rule proposals. We mentioned this a lot with Dennis Dodd last week. Be sure to go check out the story. I found it interesting that some of the, some of the clock discussions that we had didn't end up showing up as some of the rule proposals that are going to end up getting voted on a little bit further down the line in April. Instead, the uh, committee, the rules committee decided that they were going to target uh, two things that are big. Number one, targeting. Hey, that, that was another big topic that we had with Dennis Dodd, ways that we would tweak targeting. The difference really is, is looking at the situation where if you get called for targeting in the second half of a game, as the rule stands now, you are not going to be able to play in the first half of the next game. Now they are recommending that there be an appeals process that would allow some of these teams and and some of these universities to reach out to the conference and the national offices so that they don't have that suspension of the first half of the next game. The other issue, which uh, according to NCAA rules official Steve Shaw dominated most of the conversation, was about players faking injuries. Now, they did not put in uh, a penalty that can be levied in-game 
but they did say that they were going to open up a process where there could be investigations and rulings such that these teams that might be accused of faking injuries, there could be some punishments that are going to be out there for him. I, Danny, like, is the faking injuries thing a big deal to you? Do you find that to be as, uh, as top of mind in terms of what we need to change about college football? Uh, I think targeting would be number one priority because I think you see the most, and I think it's the one that's just incorrectly like judged, like to see a player get tossed out of a game for when you see it in replay looks like a normal tackle, but the receiver running back ball carrier, like ducks his head at the last second to, you know, absorb the blow and the player gets ejected. That would be number one of mine. I think college football fans get most frustrated by the targeting rules. The the faking injury one I do think is worthy of looking into, and I actually like this approach with it because I don't think you can ch- you can't question somebody's injury status. You just can't. I mean, as, as a broadcaster, remember that being the one thing uh, you don't try to guess what it is, how severe it is. So you can't really do that, even though we've seen like there's been video where you can see the guy look over, gets the signal and grabs his hamstring, you know. But even then, like just the worst case scenario if something happened and you were wrong about an injury, it could look really bad. So I actually think this might be the only way you could do it. And I know there have been a lot of different proposals. We'll keep them out for the drive. Uh, you know, keep them out for several plays, whatever the penalty would be. Right now, it's just one play. Like if you go down with an injury, you have to spend the next play out and really your team gets an injury timeout. Wasn't there also the suggestion that you could remove... Yeah, you could like remove a timeout from a a team if you think that faking injuries was how they got it. But they've ultimately, as I understand it, stopped short of anything other than a review process and punishment that would come from the conference office. So... All right, real quickly here, the, the 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 measures they are proposing are unsatisfactory to college football fans and media and viewers, but we're not the ones who are trying to take over the governance of the sport, like Dennis Dodd told us on Thursday, might be happening sometime down the road from some of the Power Five conferences. That's why they have the whole transformational committee going on. So we're not going to get sued over head injuries, like they're apparently spooked about you know getting sued over which may be for good reason. Uh, these measures suck for the viewer, uh, but I totally understand why they don't want to institute a targeting one and targeting two because any plaintiff's attorneys are going to be able to say, hey, they went backwards on player safety. They made it less punitive to hit the head, even though common sense says, hey, that's incidental. We're not really changing behavior by flagging incidental stuff. The same thing with the player injury. Now, you might say, and I think you could argue this, that making a guy miss a whole series uh, is actually a pretty good idea, and you could couch it under health and safety. Hey, if you go down on the field, you need to be helped off. We need to give the doctors enough time to really fully evaluate why you had to go down on the field and be helped off, not under your own power. Uh, Okay, so cool. However, counter-argument here, let's put on our, our attorney hat. Hey, this guy was having a serious issue, but he's such a competitor, he didn't want to go down because you increased the penalty for him to leave the game. Oh, no. He just died on the field. <laughs> Lawsuit, right? Yeah. That's how, that. That's the whole reason. They are making these moves out of fear of liability and perception that the game, which would be improved from a viewability, I think playability standpoint, uh, would be would be perceived uh, as being a step backwards on safety. 
what if you compromise and just do it where instead of the rest of this the possession or whatever you just do it until the next set of downs so like if you get injured on second down and you they have to stop the game because of it because you're being treated on the field you have to leave the game until whether you're on offense or defense your team either picks up a first down or you know there's a punt i mean tom I'm in favor of any of that yeah I just so think that's because like, I, I just think that's a reasonable way to take care of it. And honestly, I understand what you're saying about like, well, this kid's he's he's playing through the pain because he doesn't want to hurt his team. Kids are already doing that, and nobody's dying on the field. There are plenty of players who are have sprained ankles who are not going down on the ground and waiting for trainers to come out, and they're saying, "Screw it, I'm going to play through it because I'm trying to win this football game." So I'm not really that worried about that happening because it already happens. Do you think they are, though? Because otherwise, why aren't we getting real change on this? Is it just the what if my quarterback inertia. goes down and he has to miss the series thing? Yeah, it's inertia. It's, you know, nobody likes change. They like yeah, we had all these nobody revolution- likes changing anything. We had all these revolutionary ideas we were talking about last week. And when the final like list of the proposals came out, I said, oh, wow. So college football is not changing at all. I mean, to be specific about it, hey, shout out Kenny Pickett. I see you out there. They're trying to get the fake slide out the game. They saw that <laughs> once in the ACC championship game. They said, we cannot be doing that anymore. They also are recommending that defensive holding is going to be an automatic first down. And this one actually did seem somewhat significant, but I need the I need the better the bigger football brains on here to help me. But they are recommending that blocking below the to outlaw blocking below the waist outside of the tackle box. So that means no more cut screen uh, cut blocks on the perimeter, right? Yeah, yeah. I will. There to me, there's two ways to view this. One, boo, I hate it. Like we're changing the rules so much where it's like there's like a four inch span of the midsection which will soon be the only place you are allowed to hit anybody else in a football game whether it's blocking or tackling and that annoys me but at the same time most of the people you're blocking outside the tackle box are defensive backs and if a 320 pound tackle can't take out the 215 pound corner without going at his knees you probably shouldn't be out there anyway so i i I get that but i i I hate it because again it's also another thing where you're giving the officials the room to have to make the judgment call you're stopping the game even further it's just i don't know it's i'm not in favor of it i'll leave it at that well don't like the thing that drives me nuts about all these rules and they've come into play and it is because the fear of litigation is football's a dangerous sport. It's inherently dangerous. The faster we come to the grips and just are real about it, like, hey, it's a violent, dangerous sport. Now deal with it and either play or don't play. I think the better off we'll be, except we keep implementing rules to try to make the sport Mm -hmm. safe. And it's not a safe sport. So there's a contradiction that comes into play. And I do worry about the game becoming more like basketball on grass. And it's just become seven on seven. And you're really limiting some of the things you can do that do bring in contact. Now, as far as the cutting outside the blocks uh, box or going low outside, I get it. But it just feels like we're trying to make a sport safe that inherently is not safe. The assumption of the risk concept that Danny brings up, though, is absolutely where the game should go eventually. However, it is really hard to do that. Without collective bargaining, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like, no doubt, guys. It's a dangerous game. Some of y'all will die much earlier than you otherwise would have, especially if you play a high contact position because all those headshots. We kind of know this. Look at the data. It's never going to be fully safe if you play it. You assume the risk. That's much easier to say to guys in the NFL who have collective bargaining and are, like, you know, full disclosure, fairly compensated 
for what they've bargained for and what the services they're providing. In college football, that's a little bit tougher. And I think that's why we, like, almost all of this college football nonsense that we sit on here and, and complain about comes back to, hmm, is this some way related to being able to cheat in recruiting or, or bend the recruiting rules? Or B, uh, is this somehow related to not paying the players? Like, either directly or is this some, like, like a, you know, kind of a long tail thing of, oh, we can't do this because, oh, yeah, right, the... Are you surprised that the clock stuff didn't get changed? That we got no recommendations on uh, going out of bounds, on whether the clock's going to run on first down? Because in terms of trying to to guess, is, it, is that inertia then, Tom? I, you're shaking your no, head. No, that's television networks. Oh, they, you just said they don't the want teams, shorter games. Yeah. Like, Dennis, Dennis told us we had that meeting, remember? Yeah, it's coming up. I, no, I they just, were in there. It was last week. That was it. They got to participate in all mm-hmm. of those meetings from Wednesday through Friday. So they got to make their voice known. Like That's they what were, I mean. He he said they were gonna they were gonna meet. In the there was a lot of week. there was a lot of momentum for that stuff happening until that meeting, and then it didn't even get proposed. What does that tell you happened in that meeting? Yeah. But I, it's funny. I feel like college football, college sports in general, but particularly football, we're in an eternal struggle where it's like players. We have to empower players to make the decisions, but players aren't capable of making the decision. So it's like with the entire, like the idea of the assumed risk, it's like, well, we, we have to empower them to make the decisions for their futures, except for this one area where they just, they just don't know. We can't expect a 20 year old to think like that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Bud, why'd you give the game away? Everything that we talk about on here stems down to two things. <laughs> it's, you know, do it three podcasts a week for the next, you know, in perpetuity. <laughs> And number one is really related to number two, if you yeah, think about yeah, yeah. it, right? Like all- finding a way to cheat in recruiting it largely comes down to finding a way to pay these kids without, you know, getting caught. Right. So it really all comes back to, to the main thing. A hundred percent. Coming up on the other side, this past year, we saw two teams make the college football playoff for the first time. Who will be the next college football playoff first timer? We're going to draft them next You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. I very much like this exercise because it went from, um, hey, everybody, let's let's bring some names to how would you rank these names and how would you pick these names against each other? And that forced us to make some tough decisions. I mean, there are programs that are big brand name programs that won BCS national championships that haven't made it to the college football playoff. They frequently were going to be some of the first names that were coming up when we had this discussion. So in drafting it, we really uh, got to hold our feet to the fire. And guys, we did not do a fantastic job. If the grading scale is the final college football playoff rankings, I will very quickly uh, read through the teams. Now, Bud had a, had a good haul. USC did, finished unranked in the final playoff rankings. Penn State unranked in the final playoff rankings. The Michigan Wolverines in the third round, of course, finished number two in the final college football playoff rankings, become a first-timer. Cincinnati finishes number four, so we cashed two. Congratulations to Bud on that. UCF 
finished unranked. So Bud got two. They both were first timers. That was awesome. Danny, Texas, Wisconsin, Auburn, and Stanford, first four picks, <laughs> all finished unranked in the final playoff rankings. But in the fifth round. It sounds like the bizarro opposite world, <laughs> trying to pick the team's least likely from the way it played out. Ole Miss at number eight in the final playoff rankings. You, you did have one team there, and it was uh, in the top ten. Tom drafted Texas A&M, which did finish in the final playoff rankings. At number 25, he then went on to pick Iowa State, Miami, Arizona State, and Illinois as the next college football playoff first-timers. The last four there did not finish in the final playoff rankings. I took Florida in the first round, North Carolina in the second. Both finished unranked. Then I had Utah in the third. They finished number 11. Iowa in the fourth round. They finished number 15. And then Tennessee was my fifth round pick. For reference here, and you talked about the bizarro world. It's because the teams that made up the final playoff rankings were Arkansas, uh, it's Kentucky. It was teams that, honestly, we probably weren't going to have high on our radar, high on our big board. Now, I made a note of the highest eligible, because remember, if you've been in the college football playoff before, then you cannot be drafted here. Uh, the highest ranked teams that were eligible and went undrafted last year, the Baylor Bears, number seven in the final rankings, and Oklahoma State which might have made the college football playoff with another inch or two. Uh, they both finished in the top 10 in the playoff rankings. Pitt, which finished number 12, and then BYU at number 13. Of those, I would say that I, I'm not like, kicking myself, but Baylor or Oklahoma State would have been sensible selections when, if we're running through 20 programs. They've, I don't think Baylor would have been a sensible selection given how they performed in 2020. Oh, just that the one-year turnaround would have been like too wild like to be you, able to predict. Like that could have been like a fifth round flyer pick. We were just like, I got a gut feeling and you got lucky and it came too. I don't, I think Oklahoma state was somebody we could probably look back and say, yeah, that would have made more sense. Yeah. But what, what I think is hilarious about our draft is not that we only drafted six teams that finished ranked, which of course we can't include the teams that were already been to a playoff that weren't eligible, but that in the first two rounds, we only picked one team that finished ranked and it was the number 25 team. <laughs> so we're not great. Or we're, we're like those GMs that really make their hay in the third to seventh round of the draft and kind of just take big shots in the first and second. And for those who don't have the uh, the list of college football playoff participants on the top of mind, real quickly, these are the schools that are ineligible for this year's college football playoff first-timer draft. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, Notre Dame, LSU, Oregon, Florida State, Michigan State, Washington, Cincinnati, and Michigan. So... With all that said, get your big boards out. It's time It's time to do this. We are drafting college football playoff first-timers. I have a... It, Bud, would like you would like to trade the first pick? I, I'm open to trading the first pick. Okay, what's, what's your, uh, what, what do you have as uh, the current uh, market rate for the first pick? Oh, man. Um, yeah, this, is, this, is, this is kind of tough. Let me ask you a question here. So this is only grading on teams to make it this year right or like, i i i like to approach it as you're you're picking the next stocks teams. yeah the yeah. next teams okay um if we're doing the next teams then chip i actually think i'm gonna hold on to my pick all right bud's gonna hold on to the <laughs> so my picks might be looking great and three or four years from that's last true year, we're, we're gonna save each right. one of these so we can continue to grade them all the way down the line and listen danny if if we're able to see stanford let's go cardinal 
before before we even start, I'm going to make the prediction that after the wild and crazy year that 2021 was, the 2022 season will have four teams in the playoff who have already been to the playoff. Oh, it's just going to be nothing yeah. but repeat customers. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's much better than 50-50 that we go over here. Yeah. 2020 was the first year that that happened because 2020 had Alabama, Notre Dame, um, and then Clemson, so wait, wait, wait. Clemson and Ohio State. Right? We, we have yeah. a sh- we could we have a show bet on that because I would take I would take one of these new teams just one to get in. Ooh, just show e- bet. even money. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll show bet you on that. I'm right. in show bet. Wait, are you Tom, in on repeats? Or? I'm in with Bud. I'm in it. If we're going to see the old, the there we old go. Reliable. Let's ACC go. ACC boys uh, back. Podcast. That's our first show One, of the offseason. I declare lock war. Lock That's got to be the first lock war in March in podcast history. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bud. You are first on the clock. All right. So uh, this is kind of a, a this year, but also long-term play. Um, I'm going USC. I've said it before. I think there's multiple reasons why Mario Cristobal left for left Oregon for Miami. Uh, but one of them is because playtime is over on the West Coast and daddy's home. And I expect USC to dominate recruiting west of the Rockies. Now that they have a serious head coach and a serious staff, they also got Caleb Williams, which gives me a really nice two-year window to make this. Now, I've already said, I think they will probably be underdogs in two games this year uh, at Utah and hosting Notre Dame, uh, but they might be favored in the other 10. I don't think there's going to be that many teams that we have the ability to pick this year who are going to be favored in nine-plus games. So we're really just kind of picking which teams that we like the best with the full knowledge that uh, there's a decent chance none of these teams uh, makes it. But I, I'm i going to go with USC. Maybe that defense arrives a year early. Maybe we all get shut out, and I get Caleb Williams' money year uh, plus some additional defensive transfers in 2023 for the Trojans. So give me USC as the next team to make the playoff for the first time ever. So you've been you've been yeah, trying yeah, yeah. to sink their price the last week or two. You've been out here talking about how USC sucks, the defense, they didn't do anything to fix it, and now you're like, yeah, they're the most likely to get there. Now I see what you've been up to. Like this is a, a team that I feel like you've been actively fading. So how about this? This year, like you said, it's not only for this year, but for moving forward. Do you foresee a USC in the college football playoff at at the end of the 2022 season scenario? No. Okay. I don't. Like, I actually, if I had to pick just for this year, there's another team, maybe in their own conference, uh, who I would pick over them. But I think USC's window is bigger. Gross. And maybe, maybe like the size of the window, I think might be growing. I would Mm. agree with that. Okay. Danny? All right. So I feel like there was a 1A and 1B of teams you could select here. Um, a little bit surprised where Bud went. I was ready to take them 1B, but I'll go ahead and take the Aggies. I'll take Texas A&M. Um, and especially if it's not this year, but it's the future. Uh, with the $30 million recruiting class, I kid, just kidding. You know Jimbo <laughs> doesn't want um, But with the recruits that are coming in, the Haynes King or Max Johnson project, whatever one pans out, 
She think this team, talent-wise, can go against anybody. Miami's coming to College Station. Very winnable game. Mario's first game. And the best part about picking any SEC team, you don't have to win the conference. You don't have to win the division to get in. They're going to come in with a lot of you know fanfare, and, and they're going to be a highly ranked team. So they can come up, lose. I think they're still that first two-loss team will come from the SEC. So I'll go with the Aggies here with the second selection. That Are you was, guys that with me on one A, one B? Yeah. So no, like, I'm not. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not either. How many years do you think Nick Saban has left at Alabama? Obviously, three, one. Uh, I think wow. it's one. Oh, wow. Breakout pod. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just guessing, but like, Bryce, this is Bryce Young's last year, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, this is the last year where I'm confident Bama is definitely better than AM roster wise. Show bet wise, what kind of odds would you guys give me if I said Texas A&M doesn't reach the college football playoff in any of the next three seasons? I'm, I mean, I'm on your. I don't think that's going to happen. Well, here's your here's your argument. I could see this like Jimbo's best season was a COVID shortened year, and even in that season, didn't beat Alabama. I mean, this year felt so big, but what they finished with four losses, right? I mean, they still Mm -hmm. like. It's been, I think, which is crazy, underwhelming as far as what you were paying Jimbo to come there. But I still feel like they're gonna. They're, the talent is coming, and if it's talent acquisition, Jimbo knows how to do that. Because I, I look at it, and it's like you know, Jimbo's doing the same thing at Texas A&M that Kirby was able to do at Georgia, which was compile a whole lot of talent and you know dominate recruiting. Like Texas A&M just posted the number one class. Georgia had posted number one classes. They were like the team that finally broke Saban's streak of doing it at Alabama. But the difference is Kirby, outside of his first year, has never lost four games in a season at Georgia. And he's in the East, where there really isn't as nearly as much resistance towards the SEC championship game and the playoff that Texas A&M is going to face on an annual basis in the West, especially like as long as Alabama exists under Saban, that's a huge mountain to climb. LSU, we've seen them win a national title in the last couple of years here. We've seen Auburn come up and have strange year, great years, although I don't think we'll see that for a few more. But like, you know, Arkansas is getting better. Ole Miss is getting better. I just feel like there are so many more opportunities for a team, even if it's elite as far as a talent perspective to trip over itself and I also feel like at times Jimbo gets in his own way with his offense too and gives himself more opportunities to trip over himself so what kind of odds will you give me for Texas A&M not reaching the playoff at any point in the next three seasons I'll give you even money Wait, so what were you looking for favorable like were you looking for plus I'm looking for, I'm looking for yeah, I'm not looking for even oh uh, well see I think that history suggests that you're your bet is like a good bet. When tech, I think it is more like ooh, I think it is more likely that LSU makes it back to the playoff before Texas A&M makes the playoff for the first time. Ooh, that's wow. cool. Um, so just even money over three years implies a probability of twenty percent that you make it in any, in any of those given three years. That's kind of where I was like, they're going to be what, like probably plus five hundred to make it this year. Well, that would actually be minus one fifty. Oh, math questions. <laughs> I don't think it's one A one B, and I think that uh, the, the differing opinions of Texas A and M clearly have uh, have got that up for debate. So, Tom, who's who? Do they who, have the same? 
Can I ask one question here of, of, of you guys? Do, does A&M have the same like feeling of inevitability that Georgia did to you? And if not, no. why not? Because well, I think it's because they play in the West. Yeah. Okay. And there's no Alabama in their way every single year. Whereas like, could you look at like Florida's part? I think Florida's going to be better. I think that they were, I, I, there's a part of me that still thinks Florida kind of overreacted with the Dan Mullen thing. Although I also understood it completely. And I think they're probably going to get better, but I think they would have gotten better under Mullen. Just, I don't think they're going to get to a level where Georgia is right now, as long as Kirby's there and they keep doing what they're doing. Tennessee, Kentucky, I think they're both going to be solid, but I'm not picking them to be to Georgia's caliber. Whereas you look at the West, it's like we talk about all the SEC teams that have won national titles and Georgia and Florida have won them, but like most of them come from the West. It's like, it's not, it's a really hard place to win. And now Oklahoma and Texas are going to be joining the party. So, uh. which by the way, back to why I selected them, they don't have to beat Bama to get in. Right. It's a, like That's an SEC play. Yeah. yeah. I understand. Yeah, but if, I mean, that's we're just talking thing. get to the playoffs, right? We're not talking. Wait, oh, here's something we probably should have discussed before we started. This is the four team playoff, right? Oh no, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> you got to bake your own projections. All right, well then, then, then my then my Texas A and M not re- well. No, the, it's going to be four teams through 2026. So yeah, my bet would then be Texas A and M doesn't make it in the four team variety. I can't give you. I can't give you better than, than than even money on that. I don't think anybody. Anybody got the hoots, but Danny, you just took them with the. I know. Pick. I just took them, but I don't. But I don't love it. <laughs> I feel like I thought it was odd. I thought you had to. I thought you had to take a And M. They're there. It's like it's best, yeah. You best got available. Like, got to take them. Like if you're Detroit and Aiden Hutchinson sitting there at number two, it's like oh, <laughs> kind of have to. All right, Tom. So who's who is your one B? In your opinion, or maybe uh, your outright number one. Not my uh, outright number one. My outright number one was USC. I'm going to take Miami. I think that you look at everything that they've got, like as far as Mario Cristobal showing up, we've seen what Mario did with recruiting at Oregon. We know that Mario has the blueprint. He spent all that time at Alabama. He's been a head coach for 11 seasons in his career. He's only like, what, 50? So he's got plenty of experience. He's got plenty of experience within winning programs. He has shown the desire and the understanding of how important recruiting is. He is at Miami, a program that has a successful history at times. And it is in a very talent rich area of the country. Now, of course, when Miami was dominant teams from around the country, weren't able to recruit in the state of Florida, the way that they are able to do it now, but still you get Miami winning and it's going to become a more attractive destination for a lot of those kids again. And then you look at the ACC. Like, I just had to write for today. It came out our spring practice preview for Miami. And it's like for the outlook and the expectations for this season, I tried to temper them among Miami fans because it's like it's really easy to get excited when you have a new coaching change. Like, oh, my God, things are going to be different now. This is the one. And we've seen plenty of times in the past, Miami, hey, you know what? This isn't working with our current coach. we got to bring back somebody with Miami DNA who understands the way, and he's going to lead us to the you know promised land. And we've seen it plenty of times before. Cristobal's the latest example. But the difference this time is that there is more financial backing. Like, the coaching staff he has put together is pretty impressive. Whether you agree with the decision, like you like the coaches or not, the fact that Miami's putting that money into it to be able to lure these guys away from their gigs to come to Miami it's impressive. It's a sign of intent. But more importantly than anything, look at the rest of the ACC Coastal. This is why it's hard for me to tell Miami fans not to get too excited because Pitt just lost Kenny Pickett. North Carolina just lost Sam Howell. Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Duke are all among coaching changes right now. Jeff Collins is entering the season on the hot seat. 
Like, if I'm a Miami fan, I'm not saying division title or bust, but honestly, Miami could easily win the division this year in a season which it's not great and not competing for playoff spot and there are still flaws. But if I look at the Coastal, that is the most exciting program in the Coastal right now than in the in the Atlantic. Clemson's got more questions about it than we've ever seen since it became a national power. Florida State has been stuck in the mud forever. We don't know. I expect them to get out soon, but we don't know how long that's going to be. I think Miami's in a spot where within year two or three of Cristobal's tenure, they could be winning the ACC. If Miami uh, has two division losses, it is a disappointment of a yes. season. Yeah. They have to go play at Clemson, and of course they've got Florida State. And uh, you know, judging sort of even within that rivalry and also Mike Norvell, uh, I, w- I will say that's a little bit difficult, but your point is spot on, Tom. There is no excuse based on the caliber of the coaching staff and a very talented now sophomore class where Manny Diaz was throwing all the freshmen mm-hmm. out there, putting Tyler Van Dyke out there, putting James Williams out there. Jalen Knighton gets cleared from suspension. Now let's get him running the ball. Like Young players who have playing experience with a winning conference record last year, if, if Miami has another 5-3 and three conference record, it's a disappointment of a season. And so that's why I'm, I'm with you, Tom. You, you got to look at Miami fans about, you know what? You're right. You should be in Charlotte playing for the ACC championship on the first Saturday in December. I had these guys high on my list, Tom. Um, I I don't think I had them top four, but I certainly had them as you know in my second round. So we're not, we're I'm not far off uh, from you here. My my one well, a couple concerns. One, I do think there are some areas on Miami's team where it might take a little bit of time uh, to build it up. Oh, they they graduate a ton of offensive linemen after this year. This mm-hmm. year, I have them as sizable dogs in, in just two games, right? A and M and at Clemson. The last time these two teams played, I mean, Clemson's defense, which has not really dropped off just absolutely bullied these guys. Next year, though, if they can get some of the lines of scrimmage stuff fixed, they do have a pretty good chance because uh, their competition from the Atlantic side of of the ACC, they do not have to play Clemson there. Uh, They get to play at Florida State, which probably won't be a cakewalk, but they also get Boston College coming to Hard Rock. Their non-conference is Texas A&M in 2023, and that's basically it at Temple, which is the, hey, like, thanks for letting us take back Manny Diaz uh, payback game, I believe, uh, from back in the day, uh, and Miami of Ohio. So pretty kind of cakewalk there. But 2023 has got to be the year, I believe, because in 24, they got roadies in the non-conference at Florida and at Notre Dame. So that makes it kind of difficult. So, uh, yeah, I, I I really think you make some great points there, man. Do you think they get in? Uh, like, is a one-loss ACC champ automatic, or is there going to be yeah. – I don't think so either. I mean, even if they lose to Texas A&M on the road, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's not a lock, that's for sure. No. One loss ACC champ is not a lock. You need things to happen elsewhere. You're you're now no longer in control of uh, of your outcome. If you were to lose to A&M very early and then run the table and A&M ends up being a very good, very good team in 23, I, I think you have a pretty good shot there. But, of course, it also depends on, you know, what do we have going on in the Big 12 and in – the Pac-12. Am I cashing my ticket on USC? Uh, if so, then that's a spot that you could potentially be taking. With the final pick of the first round, I'm going to a squad that I picked last year that is very high on my board. I like the path. Certainly, there is the uh, the concern about what's happening over there in Los Angeles, but I'm going with the Utah Utes because that team has been able to um, re... like. That is one that it, it could happen immediately this year, 
but also like let's let's just look at the way that they've had to remake themselves from a personnel standpoint. How they've had so much turnover. They've dealt with uh, losing the quarterback, and then in comes Cam Rising, and we're still going to figure it out. We have absolute tragedy at the running back position, and guess what? Our next running backs end up being some of the best in the Pac-12 as well. They are so firm in what they do and i i just think that their ability to withstand all the twists and turns of a, a college football season in the modern era as long as kyle whittingham is on the sideline utah is in the mix for pac-12 championships and as long as you're in the mix for a conference championship and a power conference then uh, you should at least have a some kind of seat at the table we have had uh, multiple top 15 finishes for the utah utes in the final college football playoff rankings in the last couple of years, and uh, and and I like them of everybody that's left uh, to be able to to help anchor my squad for the uh, the next college football playoff first timers. It's an interesting pick for a first rounder. Well, it's, I'm also on the corner a, pushing the chips into the center table for this year's pick, yeah. though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, like you're, you're going all in on this year. With the, I mean, this I am not thinking that Utah by the rise of USC will be uh, taken out of the water because I don't think that they drink from the same well all the time. I think that Utah's success can stand on its own without um, losing so much of the pie. You could argue that Oregon has to share more of the same well and more of the same pie with USC than Utah does. And that's where I'm thinking more about just that very, very high floor and just the way that it's been built and the way the program's been successful in the last couple of years. It's kind of like the debate we were having last week between like Jordan Davis in the first round or Devontae Wyatt in the second round. Me, in a vacuum, I'm not taking Jordan Davis in the first round because I can get his equally player at a better value later in the draft. Well, not equal player, but you get what I'm saying. But like if the Chargers took Jordan Davis at 17 because they feel like their run defense is the one thing they need to address to make them a contender in the AFC West and get to the Super Bowl and it makes sense, it makes sense for them. So I'm guessing that you think Utah is your missing piece from your team. And I also then get to circle right back around. I, just, I didn't want anybody else to get Utah. Come on. And so I get to start the second round with the first pick, and I get to bring on down Paul Christ and the Wisconsin Badgers, where you have the... Chip's West got a type, folks. <laughs> you've got the West <laughs> division. You know, you've, got, you've put yourself in a place where getting to the Big Ten championship game, think about the win that you would have you know, other Big Ten teams are very, very high on my list, but they don't necessarily have the same path that Wisconsin does. And then if you're able to get that win in the Big Ten championship game, I think that would be such a quality win for the Badgers that even if you've taken a loss along the way, that would be uh, as much of a negating situation as possible. So I, I like Wisconsin. Paul Chris has done a good job, even as you know, we're into year one, two, three, four, we're into year like eight or nine for him um, as the head coach in Madison. The recruiting has continued to tick up a little bit. And even when they get off to these weird, bad starts, you know, you go four and three in the COVID shortened year, you lose a couple games early. I thought the Badgers did a good job of finishing strong in 2021. I think they will be my Big Ten West pick next season and give themselves a position to uh, win a Big Ten title and contend for the playoff. I don't hate it. I don't. Yeah, I, mean, I don't hate it at all. I was probably going to take him if you didn't. So yeah, it, it's it's competency, consistency plus path, right? Like we're not we're not picking teams to win the college football playoff. I would never pick Wisconsin to actually win the thing, but picking them to get there. Other teams of similar quality have done so. Uh, they just you got to find like you're 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 not having to run a super difficult schedule. You're having to win kind of a coin flippy game at the end of the year after going through a pretty oftentimes fairly easy schedule in the West. 
All right, Tom. See, I was hoping that Wisconsin would fall to me because it would be an easy pick. Now I'm kind of stuck between two programs here. But hmm, I'll stick in the Big Ten. I'll take Penn State. Yeah, that's the other one that I had. Yeah, I think that one's pretty. I mean, it's obviously it's a bear because they're in the East. Ohio State still exists. We'll see what Michigan's able to keep doing if they maintain it or if last year was kind of a build-up thing. Michigan State seems to be a program on the rise, but I'm not really taking Penn State at this point where we are in the second round as the four-teamer. But I think once expansion comes, if they get to 12, I think Penn State becomes a team that could be very much in the picture every single year for a playoff berth. Now everybody in my top five on the big board is gone here in the sixth pick as everybody was in the top five except for Texas A&M. Wow, you didn't even have him in your top five. Oh. Wow. Disrespectful. I, my only slotting of Texas A&M was like, when is it disrespectful? Like, <laughs> what, what, at what point? Like, I know one of you was going to end up taking him based on last year's draft and also the all of the great evidence that has been presented, but I'm just, just hating on the Aggies. Wow. Danny? Um, I'm going to go with a team that had Alabama on the ropes last year. The last two years had Alabama on the ropes. One in the SEC championship game is Danny. Danny Gator is back. Gator Danny is back. Give me the Florida Gators. Especially if they find something at quarterback, whether it's Jack Miller coming in from Ohio State, whether it's Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson. I mean, man, and I do think that Florida was a cultural problem with Dan Mullen there. I think he set a tone that losing was acceptable. Once you were out of the championship run, then you could go ahead and throw in the towel. And the team did, and the season came crumbling down. But talent's there on the roster. If you can, you know, the Georgia game, clearly, I think Georgia will be the favorite. I wouldn't pick them over them. But in a one-game scenario, again, in a game last year, where was it, 3 nothing, two minutes before mm-hmm. the half, and then it kind of you know snowballed against them, I think there's still going to be a, a team there. So I'm going to – and for the future, like for not only this year, but moving forward, I'll take the Gators all day long. Like it. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a really good pick. I mean, I, I with their ability to recruit, there's only so far that they should be able to drop, and, and unless you're going to assume – continued cultural or, or competence issues. And I just really don't think that uh, that we should assume that. I mean, that's not assu- assuming that Napier is going to be a huge hit. He could be, but it's Florida. I mean, they've, they've mm-hmm. won, they've won th- what, three titles in the last mm-hmm. three decades? Um, yeah, it was, I was between, more. Florida was the other team I was thinking about between them and Penn State. Because I feel like it's in a similar situation where I'm probably not picking them to be four, but once it expands, I think Florida is a team that every single year is going to be in the playoff conversation. And you go Penn State over Florida because of, of path in the near term. I mean, they both mm-hmm. have a beast in their own division in Ohio State and Georgia, but Penn State's going to draw some teams from the West. And, I mean, hopefully they get to miss so Illinois. Florida. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly right. By the way, did you see Florida plays Utah week one? I did. Yeah, that is one of my more – yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that game. That's going to be fascinating to see how they I, – I looked it up. Britton Covey for Utah, by the way. Like 100 touches when you put together receptions, rushes, kickoff, mm-hmm. punt returns. It's going to be interesting. Uh, all right, so I, I'm on the clock here. I really did not think this team was going to get back to me. It's another could come together for this year. Don't think it will. Uh, really like them for 2023. Hook them. 
Texas Longhorns for me. Uh, I think the quarterback talent on that team between Quinn Ewers and Hard, or, or excuse me, Hurt, uh, Hurt, good Lord. Hudson Card? Yeah, yeah, Hudson Card. Uh, and Hudson then also Hard. Hard. <laughs> uh, the offensive line class that they signed this year is really, really nice. I don't know how much it's going to help them in this current year, especially because most of those kids did not early enroll. Uh, but next summer, or ne- next fall, they're going to have a whole offseason to work through this. I, I think you're going to have a very talented offensive line, uh, and it's Steve Sarkeesian. So I generally trust those teams are going to score points, and I think they're going to be in the Big 12 for a couple more years, right? That's part. Of, that's part of the the thought here is maybe they don't go to the SEC if the SEC doesn't have quite as quite as many playoff spots as they probably promised these guys when Greg Sankey was working on the expansion and on the negotiation. I just want to thank you for taking Texas and saving me from having to. <laughs> I mean, Texas went second second overall last year, and now I'm getting them in the uh, in, in the eight spot. I mean, I feel like I've reached a point where it's like, man, if you can't win the Big Twelve. What the hell are you going to do in the SEC? <laughs> That's a fair point. <laughs> Just kind of where I am with the Longhorns right now. All right. And then uh, next pick, or we have more Texas talk? No. Yeah. I want to see your picking because I got a team on the tip of my tongue. All right. <laughs> so, is it Grambling? Which my P.O. box the other day? Not, not Grambling. And uh, for Bud's Brigade, love the pod. Keep up the good work from Kayad. Let's go. NC State. Oh, NC State. Nice. From the hook'em to the to the pups. Yeah. NC State brings back a ton. Uh, the same logic essentially applies to them uh, as it does to Miami with a little bit uh, of more difficult schedule simply because they play in, in the Atlantic, and the Atlantic brings back a lot of pretty damn good college quarterbacks. This is very much a chip style. Like, I'm pushing my chips in for this year type pick, but I feel like I got good future value uh, with potential of USC Texas at uh, at at one and eight, so for my the ninth overall pick, I'm going to go NC State. Maybe they can thread the needle this year. Uh, stop punting so much in opponent territory, and uh, I mean, there's I think there's some upside left there on that squad. There's definitely upside left on NC State, and there is ACC championship potential there. the The NC State challenge is going to be. Are you going to be able to win the ACC with a record that also has you competitive for the college football playoff? I find NC State, a a team that I also had uh, fairly high on my own big board, I see them really needing the breaks elsewhere. Like NC State is going to need the, the, they're going to need to emerge in the chaos season uh, to be able to to get that chance because I think that sometimes uh, when the upstart ACC team is competing for and winning the ACC, if it's the upstart team, it means the rest of college football is hating on the ACC for the way that things are going. Oftentimes, justifiably so. Uh, but yeah, I, I would agree with that. Also, the non-conference is a cakewalk. They're, <laughs> they, they better start 4-0 at East Carolina, uh, Charleston Southern, host Texas Tech, host UConn uh, before welcoming in Boston College. Or well, actually, I don't, I don't have the dates on, on their uh, on their conference games yet. I probably should put that in my spreadsheet. But I'm yeah, that's the their Pirates. non-conference. I'm taking the Pirates and the points today, whatever it is. Oh, yeah, I would agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, huge, huge off-season hype where Bud Bud Elliott's dropping them as the third-round pick on playoff first-timers. Now you got to go to Greenville for the opener. They've been thinking about you all off-season. Woo-wee. State probably wins, but give me Pirates and the points. All right, Danny. Uh, I'm going to go with a team 
with a fourth-year starting quarterback and one of the, I think, most consistent winning coaches that are out there after surviving a little speed bump a couple years ago, wearing a T-shirt that caught a lot of uh, vitriol from a lot of people, and he survived it. Give me Oklahoma State, the Cowboys. Spencer Sanders is back. A little bit worried about Jim Knowles leaving, but with his departure, opened the door for Derek Mason to come in from the SEC. I mean, this is a team that was inches from winning the Big 12, possibly making the playoff last year, and I can get him again here. Give me Oklahoma State all day long. They play Arizona State at home week three, which I think is a great game, fascinating game. Or excuse me, week two, uh, September 10th. And they do get Bedlam on the road. But as we've seen with the Big 12, like you could lose that game, get a rematch with Oklahoma potentially, mm. if it's not somebody else, beat them, kind of avenge your loss. And if Oklahoma and Texas do leave early, like who's going to vault to the top of these you know, uh, Big 12 picks every year? It's going to be Oklahoma State. So thinking out for this year and the future. Let's go. It's a perfectly fine pick, perfectly fine pick. It's the wrong Big 12 team because, gentlemen, it's Baylor. There's a program out there that has not been drafted that has won at least 10 games six times since 2010 and has done it under three different coaches. That tells me there's something in the water down there in Waco, and I want to drink some. So give me the Baylor Bears. <laughs> Solid pick. Straight from Chip and Joanna right to Tom's mouth. <laughs> Straight from the NFL Combine where they're starting to wonder if there's something in the water with those 40 times they were running. Jeez. These guys were lighting it up. Baylor speed. I I love that. Um, the, the hardcore Baylor fan will also point just right to 2014 and how close Baylor was mm-hmm. being ineligible. Like basically a playoff team or playoff adjacent team during that season. The you mentioned the success under Matt Rule making it to the Big 12 championship game and then being able to win the Big 12 this season. Uh, I I had Baylor ahead of Florida on my big board. I think that's a Whoa. fantastic pick. I think it's a very good value pick, and I'm proud of myself for making it. Okay, let's go for the final pick of the third round. I will take uh, much more of a long term play, but let's go ahead and bring them on down the Tennessee Volunteers. Could be a Josh Heupel, Tennessee team. Might be another head coach. But I tell you what, they care. They care enough to pull the fire alarm in their own building to be able to reverse things. They care to incredible extents. Uh, Tennessee does have a slightly easier path in the East than the West, but I am looking at offense. I am looking at recruiting. I am looking at Tennessee as a team uh, with the potential to be able to climb its way to the top of that division and contend for an SEC championship. It is more likely that Tennessee makes an expanded playoff than a four-team playoff, significantly more likely. But when we do really start to look at uh, playing this, gaming this out into the future, when there is an expanded playoff, I think that Tennessee is going to have a chance to be around there. And then I go from the explosive offense uh, right back to your chances of just being able to to back it up and back it in with that defense and seemingly unstable, unsustainable turnover margins. I'm going with the Iowa Hawkeyes as my first pick of the fourth round. You know, Tennessee wasn't even on my board. Really? Yeah. 
Tennessee now, prepared a board for, for five rounds. Yeah, I know. Tennessee wasn't on it. Just too many other teams in the way. I got a lot of SEC teams on my board. Tennessee wasn't one of them. <laughs> Is it because they play Alabama and Georgia and Florida every year? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fair. really hard for them to even just get at large bursts. And also because they had like a 20-point lead over the weekend against Arkansas and they could they failed to cover the six, and I'm kind of mad. <laughs> That's fair. You can't you can't bring in bad beats from basketball. To, yeah, I can. That was just lazy, lazy basketball in the second half, costing me money, thinking you'd already won the game. You didn't have to play hard anymore. That's just bad. I don't like to see that from anybody. Yeah. All right, I've uh, all right. Back You've got to- Iowa and Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, you have, dude. You have a type. You've got Utah, Wisconsin, Tennessee, and Iowa. Tennessee is like the crazy kind of fun one, but the other three, you're just. You want like just solid, dependable, <laughs> just know what I'm going to get. Yes. Tip is I, like path, copy, paste, path, copy, paste, <laughs> path, and then wouldn't be funny if. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I I have a lot of unpredictability in my life right now. I tend to be biased towards things that are providing stability and predictability. He's got I mean, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and a Friday. That's what he's got. <laughs> like All it would take is basically some type of – serious injury to one of like Bama or Georgia's quarterbacks. You split that game. Somehow you, you don't have to like, preferably you lose, uh, you lose Georgia's. You don't have to go to the SEC title game. Right. And Mm -hmm. maybe like your other games are winnable. You get Florida in Neyland. You get, uh, you have to go to Pitt. Pitt does return a lot. They beat you last year in Neyland, but that's possible. You finish, Missouri at South Carolina, Vanderbilt. So you should be able to put up quite a few points down the stretch. Uh, UT Martin in the non-conference as well. Akron in the non-conference. Uh, it's not that great. Like, I don't know. What, you, what odds would you give Tennessee of going 11-1? and one? Like, it's it's not it's not a decimal. Like, there's at least like a 1% chance of that. Yeah. Are, are you taking Kentucky over Tennessee? No, it's in Neyland, no. and I think Tennessee was a better team than last year, and Tennessee beat them in in uh, Lexington last year, too. Because Kentucky finished as a top 25 team in the college football playoff rankings. I, I, I look at the SEC, and I believe that Tennessee can work its way up to number two fairly quickly, and closing the gap with number one is a very, 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 very large gap, but I think that the, I think the Vols are capable. Well... Chip, you have a theme, and it appears I have a theme too, like early 90s, early 2000s, except for Baylor. I'll follow that up. I'm going to throw this as a longer-term play because I don't think it's this year. It's probably not going to be at least another two years, three years, maybe, probably expansion. Give me Florida State. Sorry, Danny. Sorry, bud. No, they're ineligible. They made made it. it. They've already made it. Oh, shoot. That's right. They made the first one. First year. Yeah. Well, you know what? Then Tennessee would have been on my board. (laughs) <laughs> sorry, Tennessee, you did make the board, but I cut it off after 20. Okay, well, then I'll pivot, and I will go with... Oh, man, I can't believe I forgot Jameis fumbling against Oregon in the Rose Bowl. <laughs> um, Similar situation. This is a team I don't expect to win its conference. I don't even expect it to win its division. But once expansion comes, I do expect it to be in that at-large conversation. Good quarterback play, fun offense. Ole Miss. Wow. That was your squad, Danny? No. 
I had them later. I'm surprised they I'm okay. surprised. Not a bad, not a bad flyer. So who gets if I picked them last year, do I get credit for them too? Like nope, Tom and I both now. get to celebrate. <laughs> if no, la- last year's draft is canceled because we had somebody make it from the draft. Oh, Three okay. sets every time somebody makes it. Okay. I'm gonna go. Man. It's getting down to the nitty gritty now, boys. It is. <laughs> I'm gonna go with a team. That is a conference champion that nobody's respecting. Let's go because it's in because it's the ACC. Give me Pitt. Give me Pitt. I know Kenny Pickett's gone, but we saw Nick Patty in that game versus Michigan State. A couple minutes looked adequate. Jordan Addison, though, one of the best receivers in the country, is back. Even though Pat Narduzzi said every SEC team tried to pluck him from their roster. Maybe this was more than just an anomaly. Maybe this was a breakout season for the Pitt Panthers. That's what I'm selling myself on anyway. Tennessee at home. They already beat them last year on the road. Let's go. Give me Pitt. I think you have to take – I mean, if it's not Clemson's year and they stumble, I think you have to take some of these coastal teams. If if, if Clemson goes into a down cycle, or even if they don't, I mean, the one kind of game to beat them. So I like Pitt with the and like it was this, either between it was me it was between them or another team. Not on the board. Select yeah, not on the board. I I had Pitt um pretty high on the board. I think that there's a long term argument based on player development, NFL draft picks that have come out of there. I mean, this is something that is just you gotta you gotta ascribe to Pat Narduzzi and the program that he's been running. It's his first head coaching opportunity. He stayed there. He's built something, and they're doing a, a really really good job. I. I tend to lean your way, Danny, in thinking that this was not just a one-year or uh, one-off with Kenny Pickett. They made it to the ACC championship game back in 2017. Um, they they will probably continue to compete for ACC Coastal Division titles and, in that sense, have a shot at uh, winning a conference championship and being in the playoff picture. I like the pick a lot. Interesting pick, Danny. I, I, uh, I had him on my board more if we were going to do like the five-round thing. Um ACC is clearly one of those conferences that wants to go away from divisions and wants to go to pods. So to me, that makes this more of a like got to do it this year type pick, which they easily could. I mean, given their schedule, um, they they actually could be favored in all twelve. I don't think they will be, but if you told me that they're that they're favored in all twelve, it really wouldn't shock me all that much. Um, but like, I don't know. Not really sure how long the coastal advantage is going to last. You know, I, I do think ACC will go to pods at, at some point. Um, I just don't know when that will happen. But certainly now that the Big Ten has kind of endorsed it, uh, I think that the floodgates will open there in the coming years. We'll probably have pods. All right. So that said, uh, my final pick, pick uh, pick 16 here. I was between two teams, and I guess because nobody else has any more picks. Or are we doing five rounds? Are we doing four? Doing five, I thought. Oh, let's just do five and we'll. Well, I get I get sandwich lightning cool. round. Yeah, lightning I, I can I can say five. both. All right, I was between, I'm going to go with North Carolina uh, for this one because of how well they have recruited. Uh, they do get the coastal division edge. To me, they're sort of a, a post type sleeper uh, type play here a little bit. They got a ton of hype last year. They fell flat. We discussed the reasons why they could meet that hype or might not meet it. One of the big reasons was their youth on the lines didn't you know mature and develop. Little bit scared with some of the Mac Brown strength conditioning type stuff, given what we saw in the like the last 
half decade at Texas. You know, I really hope that they do develop those big men there on both lines of scrimmage, but I think they'll have good quarterback play in Drake May, and they certainly have some good skill guys. So go ahead and give me UNC with a, a reasonable path, I guess, for a fourth-round pick, maybe. I mean, it, it's hard to find good picks this late in the draft. And? And Oklahoma. I mean, enough said, right? Like they're they're a historic <laughs> program. I, th- I think they'll be back on top yep. at some point. I think Dylan Gabriel has some real upside there. I think they could easily make the playoff, and I do think they probably have to do it now. You know, before they reach uh, the SEC. But who knows? Like they might get in the SEC and have a different pod. So uh, you really, it, I, I think they have current value, uh, and I, I'll be able to lock up uh, Texas and Oklahoma. Here. I think that's kind of a steal with the uh, the twenty first <laughs> pick in the draft. It is. Yeah. It is worth asking whether Oklahoma has ever made the playoff because the way that some uh, discuss the way that the last you know seven or eight years has gone around Sooners football, you'd think they were just in an awful place. I mean, it's I, I think that they're just very happy that Lincoln Riley is finally gone, so the down cycle has come <laughs> to an end, and they could finally get a real coach in there who knows what it takes to win at Oklahoma. That's true. That's true. All right, do I have to make a real? <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, shoot. Um, I thought about this. It's not even a G5 team, but I'll do it. BYU. No! I like that pick. Yep. They they have the ability to go out and schedule people. Most teams seem pretty amenable to scheduling them. They recruit fairly well. It's a nationally known name. Um I think they could do it this year, maybe, uh, potentially. I, I don't know. I thought about taking like one of these UCF or Houston types that are going to be in the Big 12 when the Big 12 loses its two you know, teams that can recruit at like a national title level. Uh, but it's just too far off for me. Man, I wanted BYU. Why should we, can't we just let them stick with Oklahoma? <laughs> so you can get it. Yeah. BYU finished number 13 in the college football playoff rankings last year. Um the, the committee has suggested by its own rankings that BYU does have to be basically perfect as mm-hmm. it stands. That will change when BYU arrives in the Big 12, but uh, on program strength alone, I, I absolutely can support that pick. They have names this year, too. Have you guys seen the schedule? On the yeah. BYU schedule? Yeah. So Baylor, Oregon, Notre Dame, Arkansas, Boise, Stanford. Like That's a lot of name value. But there are scenarios in which that those teams are very, very good and BYU go six and six. But there are also scenarios in which they're getting a lot of credit for beating those name value teams, and those name value teams actually aren't all that great. I like the pick. They were great oh. against Pac-12 last year. Devastating. I don't know. Um, all right. This worked out perfectly because I can go ahead as the – official mayor of Orlando. <laughs> I can go ahead and back up. We're going to go for a second national championship. Give me the UCF Knights, baby. The Gus bus did not come off the rails when Dylan Gabriel got hurt. When they do move to the Big 12, I think it's a great move, but I think there's even a chance we saw Cincinnati shatter the glass ceiling on the group of five teams, so it's not totally out of the realm of possibility they could make it although they don't have exactly a Notre Dame-type opponent, two ACC opponents, Louisville and Georgia Tech, on their roster. Don't know if those are going to be resume builders that they're going to need. But 
You never know. It's going to be UCF, a long-term play as well. I, it's Orlando. UCF is a sleeping giant once they go power five. Well, I baited you both into taking BYU and UCF and leaving the pick I wanted all along on the board. Taking a Big Ten champion. Taking Illinois. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I maybe you were not go Nebraska. No, God, no. I want a real football program. Maybe not <laughs> in the fourteen playoff, but once we get to twelve, the line I will be in play. So I'm uh, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm, I'm going to pick up this hat, this hat that says Minnesota, this hat that says, "Ooh, are we going to row <laughs> our boat to the playoff?" No, I'm going to throw that hat away. So then I'm I'm going to pick up this hat. Oh, oh, this hat over here says Kentucky. They finished second place in the SEC East. What do I think? Oh, no, I'm going to throw that to the side. Million-dollar meal table, throw it on the ground. <laughs> My pick for the final pick of the fifth round is the Houston Cougars, baby. Like, it's just a, a success. And I don't even know if it's going to be Dana Holgerson. This is much more of a, a big-picture play. But I do think that in terms of national – relevancy and the ability to stand out in the eyes of the college football playoff selection committee, whether it's a 14 playoff or a 12 team playoff, the fact that Houston is leveling up its conference schedule is just going to be a, a very, very big difference in the way they are judged, the way they are ranked and the way they are rated. And I think that Houston is going to show up and absolutely expect that when it starts playing a big 12 schedule, it should be in the top four or top five every single season. And I think that gives you enough of a path, especially uh, with the Big 12 not totally like disappearing. It sure seems like we're still going to call it a power conference. Bob Bowlesby's at least gotten that uh, to be part of the the conversation around it. So give me Houston. Um, I'm sorry, I still had Arkansas out here. Yeah, Arkansas is the bigger surprise for me of the one that hasn't been drafted of those teams. Still had Wake Forest out here. Nah, not on the board. But uh, Houston is the highest-rated unpicked team, so I'm going with the Cougs. Uh, if you're listening, if you're, if you're, by the way, if you've been watching on YouTube.com/slash/Cover3, you're doing it right because we've had it all on the screen for you. Great, uh, great experience, and, and thank you to Coca for helping keep this all organized. But if you're listening to the audio product, Bud to review, Bud got USC, Texas, NC State, North Carolina, and BYU in that order. Danny got Texas A&M, Florida, Oklahoma State, Pitt, and UCF. Tom took Miami, Penn State, Baylor, Ole Miss, and Illinois. Chip took Utah, Wisconsin, Tennessee, Iowa, and Houston. Any other last thoughts or teams that you're surprised didn't make it? Uh, I feel like of the teams that didn't get drafted, Auburn is the only one that I think could have been defensible, but I was never going to be the person making that pick. Yeah, Auburn clearly, especially if if, if the SEC uh, goes to pods, right? Because mm-hmm. like, I mean, there's a chance that they don't play Georgia or Bama, like both every single year. You know, even if they do, like you'll be dropped. You probably won't also have LSU on that schedule because you know, uh, at least not annually. Some teams that got drafted last year that did not get picked in this year's draft, I think, is interesting. Chip, um, Iowa State. They were the number six pick in last year's draft by this idiot. We talked about like they have a window and that window is slamming shut. And I think you've seen it slam. Now, maybe it reopens when Oklahoma, Texas leave the Big 12. But damn, that was a missed opportunity last year for those guys because Oklahoma, Texas didn't win the Big 12 last year. They didn't even play for it. You know, Auburn and Stanford also teams that were not 
picked this year that were picked last year. We just mentioned Auburn. I think that you've got Arizona State. More, Arizona State. That's another mm-hmm. one. I think you've got more excitement about Stanford now, big picture, right? You, you throw yeah, the they, they seem to fix some of the recruiting stuff. Yeah. I think so. That makes um, sense. Oh, I took Tennessee last year too. You took Tennessee, Iowa, and, and Utah. Utah last year. Yeah. Like you, Tennessee is a much better pick this year than it was last year. I got to say, like that is. Um, yeah. Okay. Who else? Every Everybody else was pretty much picked though, especially up near the top. Mm-hmm. We'll see who ends up. Who ends up finally breaking through? Uh, we'll be sure to, uh, to keep track and keep you up to date here on the Cover 3 Podcast. You can't follow him on Twitter at Tom Pinelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow him at Danny Canelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.